We're on a mission to help golfers from all over the world achieve their goals by understanding what it actually takes to play their best golf. We're talking with leading instructors, researchers, and players themselves to find what is actually working. Hey, thanks for joining us today. You are listening to one of our partner shows. It is the Tour Coach Podcast with Tony Ruggiero. He has some phenomenal guests on talking about teaching tour pros. He'll have his players on. It's always a great show. Today was another great episode. I want to share that with you here on the Golf Science Lab Podcast. Let's get into it. So here we are back on the road down at Old Palm doing a little retreat down here with some good friends of mine, Dr. Scott Lenz. Doc, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. Got my good buddy, Mark Hackett. Hack, thanks for inviting us down. Absolutely. Good to see you, Tom. And the director of golf, good friend of ours, Dan Terleski. Dan, thanks for hanging out with us and sitting in today. It's been great. It's been a lot of fun, and we've got some uh, we got some good folks and some fun. We just did a, just did a nice little putting seminar, I guess we called a seminar a clinic, uh, down here on their new unbelievable stuff y'all have built here at the club i mean it's impressive how much i've been coming down here for years hanging out with hack and to see how much they've y'all are progressing and changing the club and uh what you've done with this patio area it's, it's really cool it's impressive so but the topic from from the prez over here was uh about how to help what was it senior golfers yeah older golfers yeah. we won't call you senior right. not quite senior yet you just old. Oh, yeah. yeah yeah okay so we're going to just talk a little bit about what we did. Scott, I'm going to start with you because I think one of the things when you talk about senior, but I think it's every golfer nowadays, they want to hit it further. So they want speed. So talk from your perspective because we've watched a bunch of folks come through. We had golfers of all skill levels with it. We had a couple guys trying to play for a living. We had some mid-ams. We've helped some members and some older folks today. From your perspective, when you start there, like what are some things that you see that are commonalities that, that those types of folks can do to help get better? So often, as you get older, you get tighter, right? So we don't have as much range of motion a lot of times. Um, and to get the club moving fast, you need more time to put force into it. And so generally people say like the further your hand path can go, the more time you have to speed it up down into impact. And you'll notice a lot of people as they get older, swings get shorter. And so anything you can do to lengthen your hand path will help you hit it further as, as you get older. So obviously that could involve stretching, going in the gym, that kind of stuff. That always helps. But acutely, if you just want to hit it further right over the ball, and you'll see a lot of old golfers, right, release the left heel as they take it away. So they get that left heel off the ground because that actually lets you get more turn behind right. it more or get more hand path. Um, and you, if you look back in old videos, like Jack Nicklaus used to do it all the time, we used to see that quite a bit more than we do these days because these kids that are playing on t- tour now are so young and fit and flexible, like they don't need to do it. But that's something I've, I've added to a lot of older golfers' swings is releasing the lower body in some method, which gives you more ability to get the club moving through a bigger distance and generally create more speed. A lot of people are afraid to do it, but it can add a lot more distance to their swing. We'll turn it over to Hack and Dan here after this. But another thing I think that's real important is as golfers get older, I notice that their balance gets worse, mm-hmm. right? And, like, their ability when they get to their finish to actually be balanced isn't very good. And you see them, see folks all the time kind of struggle and they wobble. And, and I think that's one reason that they don't, even if they try, turn through the ball and finish on their front foot, they don't because they don't have enough stability. 
you and I, we were talking with somebody today, like my old mentor, Hank, used to always say, golfer never, person never wants to put themselves in a position that'll hurt themselves, right? So your body never wants to go to an area that it's weak or not stable. So I think things like balance, and you can do things at home, depending on how much you want to get better, but like on those balance discs or those BOSU balls, things that uneven surfaces where you improve your ability to balance. And I do a lot of stuff on one leg where you just balance yourself on one leg and do a pivot drill. Improving your ability to balance on one leg, I think, is something super easy that as golfers get older would help them a bunch. Because I, I think in all the stuff with all the technology we have, balance is super simple and easy, but I think it's often overlooked. Dan, what, what about – see, I mean, Dan, you and Hack, I mean, obviously I travel a bunch, got a lot of regular students and coming down here and hanging out, but you guys are – you're in the trenches day in, day out, teaching members. You know, a lot of seniors, what are the things you guys see? Yeah, and I'll put that in first. So, first of all, we, we see a lot of older people down here in Florida, or, or you know, certainly older than what you're working for, with on an average. And then for myself, you know, I, as I get older myself, my back starts to deteriorate, I've had to find ways to figure out how to generate some speed up to. And, and what I've noticed myself doing, and I've started to teach this a little bit more, is when I was younger, I was trying to generate you know speed with my body and turning faster and harder through the ball, and that worked really well. As my back and body have started to to break down a little bit, I've learned how to use my hands and arms a little more efficiently, you know, and, and that's okay, you know. So my rotation probably isn't as aggressive, you know, but I've learned to you know lighten up the equipment a little bit. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Get, get the club head moving through mm-hmm. the hitting zone with my hands a little bit more. You know, and I think that when we look at our, our members on average, a lot of times, especially people that were uh, a really good player mm-hmm. at one point or a, or a competitive player at one point, they're reluctant to make equipment changes because they think, oh, I've, I've used this equipment or I've fit into this equipment my whole career, and, and there's a little bit of an ego there. But you've got to encourage people to let their equipment evolve you know, as, as they need help with that. Mm-hmm. I think if we can get into lighter, I mean, manufacturers are making equipment that's going to help you a lot. With lighter materials and you know, different head designs. And if we can get them using their hands and arms to release that club head through the hip a little bit better, it might take some pressure off their body as well. You know, I, I don't play as much as I'd like to. Coming, you know, I'd like to play more, but I had, I'm one of those people, I'd always played X100s. That's just what I'd always played, right? And a couple years ago, I'd, Shrixon, obviously big sponsor of the podcast, but been with them forever, and I would, had, they were going to build me a set, and they said, what, what are your specs? And I said, oh, I'm two degrees flat, X100s. And the guy looked at me like I was a Martian. He, he's, yeah. he, he looked at my gut. <laughs> You're not X100s, bud. You know? And he's like, let me build you something. And he, you know, he put some of those uh, you know, fiber shafts in, you know, steel fiber, steel fiber yeah. shafts. And, and unbelievable, though. You know? I mean, I'm 100% getting a Zexio driver, too. Because, like, as you get older, I mean, that lightweight, yeah. you know, can add speed. Add speed, what about you, Hack? Yeah, I mean, it's the overlook, the obvious, like, you look at grip. Yeah. You, you address the power leaks, poor mm-hmm. pivot, mm-hmm. so we can drop the trail foot to create more rotation. That's a good one there. We get more pivoting into your right heel or foot or knee or whatever feel feels relative. It's, but not right or wrong, that's why we always talk about taking notes. What you feel is help you reattach that feeling to make them improve it. Mm-hmm. When you agree being ball placement and then the lines. So often we we'll look at people, they're, they're <laughs> like we see with the feet really don't match your shoulder alignment. 
I mean, the alignment's really the blueprint of how your arms always swing down the line of your shoulders. So if you get that matching, so it's all more repeatable. The repeatable motion is the key. Everything can be a little more funky, but it's got to be repeatable, right? And I think one of the things nowadays, and it's fun doing these events like this where you bring somebody like Scott in, three, four weeks, we're going to bring Colby in. We're going to bring a mental coach, too. That's a whole other story. Uh, but, uh, you know, th- there's things that you can do now with the science and the stuff we have, like with Scott with the swing catalyst, where instead of us just telling you to pivot, make a pivot or a turn, he can actually do some things that pinpoint what's the most efficient way for you to make a pivot, right, and dial it in a little bit. Like, And what I've found is amazing is just 10% worth of pressure, which doesn't seem like a lot. But somebody getting somebody who might be, you know, there's people that get too much pressure in their trail leg because we've all told everybody to get behind it, and that's not the right way for them. And then there'll be a guy that's not enough, you know. But the ability, I think, with some of the technology in here at Old Palm with the swing catalyst, which I've used forever, it's the best out there, hands down. Like, you, we have the ability to dial in and be more precise and help you figure out the best ways to do it. Yeah, and I think the balance, like you talked about earlier, we had a couple people today that are getting way out on their toes and just, I mean, it's you can't rotate from your toes, mm-hmm. right? If you just stay on your toes, you can kind of go sideways. And, and getting them that feel, and golf's really a game of opposites, right? So we mm-hmm. told them to start more on his toes, and that gave him incentive yeah. to go, because if, if you start on your heels, then there's no other way place to go but your toes. And you kind of dive towards your toes, he was hitting it off the heel. Um, mm-hmm. But starting them a little bit out on the toes gave them the incentive to turn a little more. And I think that's a really good thing. It's giving people incentive to do what you want them to do. Like you had a really good drill today. You put that now. That, box, don't give me credit now. Or that little, uh, <laughs> what is it, the thing with the golf balls. And you put it right in front of his left leg because he was kind of gliding through it. And the left knee was going towards the target instead of turning through it. And, and we had tried a lot of other stuff to did. get him to stop. But that gave him incentive, obviously, to, and that's using an external cue, which we know we all learn better using external cues. So you're just like... Miss the, whatever that, what do you call that thing? Miss the den caddy. Yeah. <laughs> Miss that with your leg. And that caused him to post up a lot better and, and hit it a lot better too. So I think missing things is a great way to learn. Yeah. Like I think if you put an obstacle in the way of something, yeah. people will figure out how to miss it. Right. Because right? they're going to, how I don't want to hit it, it may hurt. You know? Right. Yeah. And same thing. Like if, we, if people are getting too much pressure in the right side, we put a club on the inside part of their knee so they don't crash into it mm-hmm. as they, and they get a little better turn. So yeah, it's really good using external cues like that to give people incentive to make movement changes. You guys out here that, I mean, you're, you know, recreational golfers love it, obviously. You came up to watch us do a putting clinic. I mean, what kind of things do you feel like would help you play better? What are the things in, in golf that we could help you that make you play better? Well, I, I think just what I'm listening to is, is you know, the movement. You know, mm-hmm. we all, me, I move around a lot, so, and... Part of it is you wear these comfortable shoes and they don't hold you. you know, <laughs> they don't hold you, so I, w- I wouldn't mind having the spikes again sometimes. But um, just what you're talking about—that that left knee moving and opening up yeah. and, and things like that—it's um, it, like I, I was telling you, Tony, earlier. The little things mm-hmm. are really important, like in the putting, getting your hands high, and and it's it's a combination of a lot of little things that really make a difference and i'll tell you i'll tell you this from a little thing and and hack is so good at this with setup but you're talking about the ability to move and we've all seen this but paying attention to how your feet are on the ground how many times do we see a person as we get older like but we'll see a person with their right foot their right-handed player with their foot barely towed in 
right? And what that does and restricts their ability, you know, their ability for their hip to turn, you know, stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of little things that you can do. I think, you know, we've all been around Mike Adams a bunch and a lot of that stuff, you know, with flaring your foot out and some of those different things. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do just from setup that create more mobility. Screening. Right. Screening's the key. I mean, you can do it like you did it with your eyes shut. Mm-hmm. Talk you about that. That was pretty cool. I hadn't seen that from you before. Yeah, we kind of look at what's your strongest or most dominant leg, and that'll really determine where your pressure should go. So if your right leg's really dominant, you might want 85 90% into your right side. If your left leg's really dominant, then you don't want as much into your right side. You want to kind of stay more kind of stacked on top of it. And so understanding how your body works right now, because that could change, right? You could go to the gym and change what your dominant leg is, but it takes a while. Yeah. And most people aren't going to do that. So let's build the swing around what your strengths are right now. So that's kind of the idea behind it. Yeah, because we want to be a chameleon, right? We're told to get back. And so that's what we associate with shifting or sliding back instead right. of doing your natural pivot and turn and yeah. using your dominant leg. We just want to buy the right equipment, the newest yeah. equipment that helps yeah, us. There's something to it. <laughs> For sure, right? <laughs> For sure there's something to the equipment. There's something to do that, but you have to fix the arrow. So the arrow, not always. The Indian, Indian sometimes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> needs some work. Yeah, yeah. Indian always needs work. <laughs> I, I, you know, obviously, um, Dan, I know you've used bands. I know Hack has, and you, you use them. Scott, I use them all the time. I learned most of that I learned from Scott, from Scott and Colby. But the ability to use resistant bands that are pulling you into whatever your air is, where you have to use the ground and you have to make a correct motion to be able to move it, right? And then the other part of that is I think there's little things you can do without the ball at home that everybody here, we could give you two or three things that you could do with a resistance band at home that you could spend 10 minutes in the morning. And if you did it, you would be learning the proper and improved body motion right or movement pattern is what they call it right and you could you could learn that and incorporate that and through a little bit of time you know you could you could make our good friend Wayne Flint had a guy who wasn't able to turn into his left hip very well and the guy didn't like to practice didn't like to hit balls so Wayne gave him a drill with a band and he said the guy's in Alabama so he's a big Republican he said he said hey every night during Fox News that's what Wayne said he goes I want you during the Tucker first Carlson. hour, the first hour at Tucker Carlson. I want you to do this drill during the first commercial break for the first hour, every commercial break. And this guy comes back like two weeks later, and I mean his speed was up, his rotation was up, right? And all the guy did was this one band every day, you know, on Fox News. He's yeah. there, Tucker Carlson. He's first commercial out of the gate, right? But like, it, there, there's so much you can do. I think one thing that people it's flexibility, it's still yeah, flexibility. But it's right? more training movement patterns, and I think. Thinking of stuff in your swing is not good. Like, if it just happens naturally. The more thoughts we put in, what did uh, Jackson had a good line yesterday? He said, if you're searching for a needle in a haystack, add more hay is not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so as you, as you add more stuff in your... Is that when we zoomed him in because you weren't allowed to be here with him? <laughs> as you add more hay to your... Uh, or more thought process, right, then it's harder to find it a lot well, of Well, can there be too much? Oh, 100% there can be. Instruction, but that's why, like, doing a band drill at home that just gears your movement pattern, then you pick up a club and you just do it without thinking about it. That, yeah. that to me, is a better change to make than having to think about well, 27 things. Helpful, Tony, the funny thing you were showing us was kind of going through a checklist to set up mm-hmm. and then just let it happen. After that, right, like 100%. That, and mm-hmm. I mean, Those are the things I know that a lot of times, like, for me, it's why do I hit it wrong? But sometimes I wonder, why did I hit that right? 
<laughs> you don't know. Well, I, I don't know what I did, to, and how do I do it again? Right. I, t- I tell folks all the time, I think one of the most frustrating things in golf for people is that they don't know the difference between when they hit a good one and they hit a bad one. Right. And they're like, I didn't hell, I don't even know what I did, right? right. And I think one of the differences, so I think, I, I say this a bunch, I think recreational golfers, let's use that term, they're always trying to fix the last shot. They're like, what did, how many times hack, Dan, you're on the tee and a guy hits one and he goes, what did I do there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? You say it all the time. Yeah, I guarantee yeah. you tell you, right? What did I do there? Whereas a tour player knows what they need to do to hit their good shot, and they keep trying to do that regardless of what the last shot was. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think they sound very similar, but they're dramatically different approaches. Like, And so Scott's so good with it and – like you use these bands to learn movement patterns and you figure out what it feels like. And you had, you know, you had the guy with the band and the club behind his waist doing it. You're like, you figure out what it, and the guy was confused. He came, I don't know what I'm supposed to be trying to do. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, just try to make it feel like that, right? So you do these exercises to learn the movement pattern, but to figure out what it feels like. And then your job when you go practice or play is to try to make it feel like that each time, I think. And I think a good way to feel something is to feel what the opposite feels like too. Mm-hmm. So to talk do about it that. Wrong, that's pretty good. On the on the range is actually a good we did that drill. with Lucas at one yeah, time. Totally. Say, say that again. I don't understand. So to do it wrong. So like pick anything. Tell me something that's worked before that a golf teacher has told you. Anything. Give me an example. Um, In your full swing. Uh, just talk? like a pivot or a turn. Yeah, anything. Like yeah. one thing yeah. that yeah. somebody yeah. has turning more. Turning more. Okay, yeah. so then you'd get on the court or in the range, and you try to turn a ridiculous amount. Try to turn as much as possible. Yeah. Then the next rep turns zero. Like just slide off it and don't turn at all. Slide instead of turn. And so you know what sliding feels like and what the ball does, and you know what turning a ridiculous amount does, feels like and what the ball. Does. And in your brain, you evaluate which one's better. Like if I was going to make a mistake, if, if Dan told me I had to play in one of those two ways for the rest of my life, which one would you choose? And you're like, well, I'll probably turn it because I had a little bit better there. Yeah. Okay, so if I'm going to make a mistake on the golf course, I need to make it a little bit more towards turning than towards sliding. But if you don't know what sliding feels like, if you can't do it on purpose, then you can't fix That's it, good. right? Um, and then if it starts to go towards sliding on the golf course, so I think the thing that makes golf very frustrating is, like you say, when the ball's doing something, you have no idea why. Even if it's good, if you're hitting it well and you don't know why. And if you hit it wide, poorly, you don't know why. But if you're on the range and you've kind of played with it, and you know, okay, when I do this a little more, the ball does that. When I do this a little more, the ball does that. And you get out on the golf course, if it goes a little bit this way, you're like, no problem, I can fix that. And you're back here. And so playing in that range, because to learn a motor skill, you have to know where the edges are. Because imagine if I only gave you like 75 degree water the whole time, you wouldn't have a clue what 40 degree water or what right. 90 degree water felt right. like, right? Or weather or whatever, right? So knowing where the edges are in movement can really help you find the middle. So actually doing it wrong but in even, practice even the pros they have their they have their teacher out there all the time yeah and like i know when i go see hack in five minutes if i'm playing bad for me he fixes me in five minutes right but that, but you're stuff. imitating you're like you haven't learned anything because if you go to the golf course and it's not there anymore you didn't learn it and so that's why going to the range after whatever he's told you to do underdo it overdo it on the range and find where that middle ground is and then, because if you could do it on your own, then you've learned. Yeah. He's yeah. told you to do something and you've imitated. And how many people have ever done that? You've gone for a lesson, you hit it great with the person on the lesson tee. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the next, to the tee the next day and you have no idea where it's gone. Well, you haven't learned anything. Well, we'd like to pay him for lessons. <laughs> I mean, and please, don't quit. Keep doing that. Because I like staying with him and having him buy me dinner. <laughs>
Keep doing that. The but other. then afterwards, yeah, the practice session I think is important. And I think whatever he tells you to do, go to the range and almost do it wrong. Do it the yeah. way you were doing it coming yeah. in on purpose. And, and Dan, I think the other thing too that's important that because there's a lot of teachers that listen to this as well. But as teachers, like you have to explain why you're asking a player to do something. Because if they don't understand it, when it doesn't work out there, they won't keep trying to do it. Yeah. And and I think that kind of goes along with, like, you know, you've got to understand the why, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, always bringing up Hank's step, like he would always say, it doesn't mean, if you didn't do it, it doesn't mean that what you were doing was wrong. It just means you didn't do it, right? <laughs> you know, if we can get you to do it on the swing catalyst in that building and the ball's perfect and Scott measures it and this is what it's supposed to be, you go out there and try it, and you do it 10, 15 times, and it's good. And you go play, and you hit some good ones, but then you hit four bad ones. It doesn't mean what you were trying to do was bad. It just means you didn't do it, right? And I think golfers get caught up in that a little bit, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, there's, there's teaching theory that, you know, when you're first starting to learn something, mm-hmm. you're sort of ignorant to how off your mechanics are, right? Mm-hmm. Then somebody points out how off your mechanics are. So now you're knowledgeable about the fact that you're you're not very good, right? <laughs> so that's part of the learning process, but you might have gotten worse because now it's in your head, right? And then you start to get a little bit better about performing those mechanics, but you're really conscious about doing it, right? You have to repeat and really be aware. And it's not until way further down the road that you actually can subconsciously pull off the motion, mm-hmm. right, without thinking about it a lot. And that takes a long time. People are... You know, they're real often to, to abandon ship. Oh, yeah. When they might stumble two, three days down the road. Or and, road. and one thing, you guys will all meet him. I mean, like Dr. Greg Carton's coming down, mental coach, good buddy of ours. He always talks about how practicing playing are so different, right? So when you're working with Hack and you're working with Dan, you know, you want to be understanding and you're trying to make it perfect, you know, and you're trying to understand it. But then when you go play, you have to understand that it doesn't have to be perfect for you to play good golf, yeah. right? And those are two very different mindsets, and that's why it's really hard. That's why golf's so hard. Yeah. When you go practice, you take a lesson, you're trying to make it perfect. You're trying to really understand it. When you go play golf, you have to understand that it doesn't have to be perfect to play. To play. I mean, how many times have we hit it like absolute dog shit on the range, and you feel like you're not going to hit it good, and you walk out there and you play a great round? Or hit a bad shot and you recover. Absolutely. How many times you shot a pretty good score and then you look at it and you're like, man, I didn't really hit it that good? Or how many times have you striped it, drove it off the tee great, and you get done, you add it up with your buddies, and you're like, man, I didn't play good at all. <laughs> right? It happens. Sure. Come on, from the back row, what y'all got? I had a question. I was just starting to kind of talk about, like, how do you make the most set of your practice? Like, you know, say you got an hour of time. The range, like, how should you be allocating your time to the range? How do you work on your skills and how to get better? Okay. Dan, start. So, first of all, hope you hopefully you've gotten with a professional and they've given you some direction of some sort, right? So you've got a, a focus for your practice because you see a lot of people that just go to the range and bang balls and. And there, there's a time and a place for that, too. Sometimes people just want to unwind at the end of the day and just go get lost in hidden balls, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're really trying to improve, you've got to have something that you're focused on, right? And so then I think you have to allocate a certain amount of that time to focusing on that skill and, and you know, blocking that time for a skill of some sort. And you're working on a motion or a movement pattern. 
regardless of the outcome, right? Not not relying on having the ball hit the target every time, but you're working on a specific change to your golf swing. And then I think you've got to take some of that time as well to go then learn how to play with it, right? And not be focused on you know, mechanics, but okay, what's this going to do if I hit it a little softer, a little bit harder, or if I hit it with a driver versus a seven iron, if I aim over here or over here. And, and part of that, you know, with some of my students is when they aim at the same target for an entire practice session, generally it's not very good, right, because they get on the course and now you feel like you're lost in space. You know, so I'll have them aim sort of at different targets throughout and changing up the target towards the end of the practice to make sure that you, know, you can reorient yourself no matter what you're pointing. But I think you've got to have a little bit of each of that time in your practice session. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think the big deal is always practice for the purpose in the sense of putting a club or a rod or some kind of line to aid. And just do quads, like number of balls, like we always tell yeah. I like 10, ball 20. Counts. I like ball counts. Instead of just keep dragging them over, especially short game. If you have three balls, hit a chip with a pitch, cut it. Then you're practicing more of a purpose, and it's more game time situation. Instead of just keep dragging soldiers to war, keep banging one after the other, and you're, 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 you do well, but you're never going to make that change. You got to do it to the extreme to I, make, a, make a motor pattern change. And I like feeling real and totally different. I like things. to separate what you're working on, so that like if you're working on something with your backswing, I like to use ball counts and count them out and break them out. So like, say you got an hour to practice. And say I'd count out like three stacks of 20 balls, right? And I'd, the first 20 balls would be whatever Hack's telling you in your backswing. And I would do those probably half speed, okay? And you don't really care where the ball goes. All you care is that are you getting better at what Hack's asking you to do. The second 20, you know, I might, I'd probably put some sticks down and I'd put a stick on the target line and I'd be trying to do what Hack's telling you to do, but try to start it online and control the curve, right? Like, you know, ball control. And then the third 20 I hit, I would change clubs and targets every shot, take all my sticks and everything out. And it, I'd love another Coors Light, please. Or Corona, we can edit that. Although now we don't even need to edit it. Everybody knows I drink. <laughs> but, uh, uh, everybody knows you're at Old Paul. Everybody does, and, and they'd be disappointed if I wasn't drinking. But uh, if but people, if you the last twenty balls, if you hit or ten, because maybe you don't have enough time, you could do it ten, ten, and ten, whatever. But like the last ten balls, change clubs and targets every shot, because that's like you talked about, Dan. Like that's what you got to do when you go on the golf course, right? So I think if you structure your practice like that, where you. I learned the ball count thing. Hack. Remember when we went to Shashevsky's practice in uh, for Golf Magazine up at Duke? And when we walked in, there was probably 20 or 30, 100 of us. I don't know what it was. And they handed us his practice schedule. And every single minute of the practice was scripted. Cameron, oh, yeah. Duke, it was amazing. And, I, and I've been, I've got folks that, from being in Alabama that have been to, obviously, Saban's practice. And I Greg Cardin's told me about Belichick's practice. They all script every minute of everything out. Like, there's not, I'm just going to go head to the range, hit balls and practice. you got to go there with, like, some intent, know what you're trying to do. And the, the other thing you can do is you can practice, you can hit balls till you start hitting it shitty. Right? How many times you start out your practice session, you're hitting it good, and then by the end you're hitting it shitty. Right? So like, go and hit 20 balls doing what you're doing, hit a good, be done. You've accomplished your task. Yeah. So I think just more intent, more purpose, 
ball counts, be specific what you do and help. Should, should you focus on one or two clubs or should you go through the bag? Probably probably on the block practice side with you know the first two, whatever they are, whatever you're working on, I'd probably do something like a seven iron or eight iron, you know, something mid. But then I think when you do the part where you're changing targets, you ought to hit a driver at something and you ought to hit, you could play old palm in your head, right? Play, you could, play a hole. Yeah, you yeah. could be like, all right, I'm on number one. I'm going to yeah. hit my driver. All right, if I hit it, left it's over there in that waste bunker yeah. you know right where you give yourself some boundaries good question any other questions so the, the, the thing that comes to mind for me is you know we have all these wedges in the bag how do we manage how do we know what wedge is hit and how to get more efficient at hitting wedges from you know 60 yards a day whatever 70 75 yards a day. dan hack you guys answer this it's good yeah so I, i've got um a system now that I use. I was I was never a wedge player until just a couple of years ago. Now I actually consider myself pretty good. You know, practicing that a lot. And again, when you practice, and I and I see this a lot with people, they'll take their wedge and they'll pick a target somewhere on the range. And a lot of times they don't know even how far that target is away from them, but they'll just start hitting at it, right? And the first couple may come up short, so they, yeah, I got to hit a little harder. And eventually, after a little while, you've got it dialed in. You've got that ball going at that target every time. You still don't really know how far away that flag is yet, but you've got the ball landing next to it. You know, what I like to do is actually the opposite of that. So I'll take, I have a shag bag in my cart, and I'll take it out to one of the practice fairways out there. And I will drop 12 balls in the fairway, right? And I'll actually take one of my wedges, and I'll swing it back waist high and follow through waist high. I'm trying to go nine to nine, right? And then I'll pace off how far those balls went. And then I'll do it again, I'll go, shoulder high to shoulder high, and I'll pace off how far those balls went. So I'm not using a target and then trying to react to the target. I'm actually like making a swing, figuring out what happened when I made that swing. Right? So when I go on the golf course, now I know how far it goes when I swing. Right? I'm, not, I'm not having to you know, do something that I'm not prepared for. So that's, that's my system that I've used, and I've, I've actually used that with a lot of students. You switch different wedges? I do, yeah. And and with some students that works, right? Um, and with a lot of the students that I work with, that works. Where you know, you'll you'll take three wedges or two wedges and say, okay, waist high to waist high. You know, when I do it consistently with this club, it goes this far. Doesn't right? it depend on whether there's something like if there's a bunker in front of you, you've got to loft it over. Mm -hmm. Versus if not, you're going to hit a, a bump and run. Or how do you? Yeah, do sure. you there's, there's different shots. In. Yeah, I'm, I'm just talking about, I guess, carry pitches. Yeah, 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 yeah carry distance. But I also think it's really, really good. One <laughs> little sponsor ad here, you should use your Bushnell range finder and shoot everything you're hitting at. You should always know what you're hitting at. Every tour player I'm ever with always shoots the yardage on the range because it helps you. Develop. It's like putting info in a computer. It just gives you feedback how far ball's going. But two, I like to have players try to, like, say the flags, say – the flag out there 70 yards, right? I like to have you hit all of your wedges and try to carry them 70 yards because you're going to get one where you need to have it stop. And then there's going to be times, you know, you got a slope and you don't want that thing to come up short. You want it to release and you want to be able to hit a less lofted wedge. I think it's really good to be able to hit all your wedges and control the distance, even your nines and eight irons and stuff because, you know, you may not use it all the time, but it creates more weapons. What about you guys? Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. You can work on either different ways of controlling distance. You can do through set, set up first, like mm -hmm. gripping down, going through. And generally, we see they use too much loft. Yeah. So yeah. if you can develop some touch with yeah. less loft, 
you know, hitting your stock like gap wedge and pitch wedge and 56. And then when you have a, a high shot of when you're short sided with a 60, it's like mm -hmm. you get you develop that touch and feel. I mean, from our yard, tempo, yeah, rhythm. Guys yeah. like us can score. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if we're we're good. I mean, Faldo always talked about. You always hear him say the guy should chip a six iron mm -hmm. and seven iron. Yeah, you know? sure. We see that a lot in, in most of our clinics that we do here. Almost all of them, we talk about how our members would do better if it's a less loft and swung soft. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as we see, we talked about it with Justin Thomas. He has that the flow and tempo and taking speed off. And JT's the best in the world right now at wedges, in my opinion. And it's because of how slow his arm speed is, right? He really controls the, not on all of them. He has times he tries to, but like he really controls the speed that the ball, you know, we always talk about like with Scott, Scott's always trying to speed the ball up, right? Yeah. Around the green, we're trying to slow the ball down. Best players, you know, are trying to slow the ball down around the green. And I think that arm speed's a big part of that. And I, but I think he, but I think that if you start by knowing how far you're always hitting something and you try different wedges, and I think that's huge. These are awesome questions. One more question. We got time for one more. This is good. Hack, you didn't. You never told me the people around here are this nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one question. So if I've got to hit the fairway, got to hit the fairway on this shot, do I choke down a little bit on my driver for a little bit more accuracy? Is there some techniques that you guys can? I would choke. I would choke down and tee it low. Yeah. Tee it low. I think the lower you tee it, the less it's going to curve, less you're going to. And I also think if you tee it low and you play it more forward, it tends to make you turn more through it, get more on top of it, which tends to keep the club face a little more stable a little longer. What about you guys? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. So when, I, when I've got to hit the fairway or, or when a tournament player has got to hit the fairway, you tee it lower, right, get a little bit more on top of it. And uh, it's going to rob you of some distance, of course, but that's okay. You can generally things go so far now. It's fine. I just stole a lob wedge. That's so <laughs> good. <laughs> what I like. So that's what I like about this podcast. We give people insight they wouldn't get anywhere else. It's like the second yeah, serve tennis, bullet. right? You guys are going to start being my regular co-host. I think the other thing too, Hack. Yeah, I've seen you teach this. Is like people should have a go-to shot off the tee. Like when you go practice. Try to figure out some shot you can hit off the tee. It could be a 50-yard slice, right? But you know it's going to be always curving that way. Or it could be a low duck hook or whatever. It doesn't matter, you know. But, like, like Doc, when you had the guy today really trying to cut it and he couldn't, right? Like, you should go out there and figure out how to hit some shot that always goes one direction. Yeah. You know? Natural pattern, yeah. Right? And just figure it out. And everybody's different, you know? You know? So, anyways, that's good. Good stuff. Hack, thanks for, as always, you, for having us. Doc, thanks for making the trip. we got one more day. Yeah. Dan, thanks for being such a great host and hanging Come out on, and guys. teaching with us. we got some fun stuff going on. We're going to be back in a month, I think, and do one with everybody. And Hack, so excited about me and my dog coming down and hanging out with him. <laughs> this was awesome, but uh, thanks to all you members for hosting and letting us come out and for all the good questions. And we'll be back next week.